of itself. I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be ye angry, and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. And that ends our reading for today. Our topic again is, are you kind? For as long as I can remember, my grandfather, Bishop Willie James Hamilton, ended every service, Bible study, prayer meeting, Sunday worship, church rehearsals, choir rehearsals, with one scripture, Ephesians 4.32. It was the only benediction I really knew as a kid. My daughter knows this scripture by heart. My college friends know it by heart. It's the one scripture that everyone who has ever attended the Holiness Pentecostal Church of Christ knows. It's such a staple that most of us who quote it don't even think about it anymore. We just rattle off the words hoping to rush to the kitchen to eat some of my grandmother's famous fried chicken. But as I grow up and as I have grown up, I have learned to really let the word of God marinate in my mind. I have learned the beauty of meditating on the word of God. I didn't always know how to meditate on the word, but my first encounter with it happened in the most unexpected of places. It was my third year in college. Most students graduate in four years. I was graduating in three years. I had already completed my most challenging classes and I had a few easy electives from which to choose. I could take culinary arts, communication, or yoga. The word on the campus though was that these were the easy A classes, but yoga was the best option because get this, you could fall asleep in class and still get an A. <laughs> During meditation, sleep was encouraged and even rewarded. What? This is heaven on earth. I'm sure you know the class I signed up for. It was an obvious decision in my mind. I figured yoga would be the only class I had ever taken for the sole purpose of sleeping and not learning. But what I did not expect was for yoga to be the one class that woke me up forever. I don't remember my professor's name. I just remember her eccentricities. She was weird. She had a bubbly personality. You know, the kind of person that walks into a room on 10 all the time. That was her. 
High energy, low stress. She never seemed to have a bad day. Always showed up with the bowl of fruit. She apparently didn't have a clue what the dress code was for faculty members on campus because whenever she'd waltz into the classroom with her spandex and cut off t-shirts, all of us thought she was a student. That was my yoga professor. She was lively, carefree, and beautiful in her own kind of way. On the first day of class, she announced that there was no syllabus. Wait, what? I'm in a college classroom and there is no syllabus. What do you mean there is no syllabus? Don't classrooms exist for the syllabus? Don't we congregate in one space for the sole purpose of reading a document that will tell us what to do, when to do it, when the assignments are due, and what our grade will be if we follow these guidelines? How will she grade us if we don't have a rubric? How will she give one student an A and another a B if there's no tangible way to show her that Mary is smarter than Tommy? No syllabus and that's okay I was flabbergasted and liberated all at once can you imagine a life without a syllabus can you imagine a world that didn't tell you what to do how to be what to study what house to buy what car to drive what designers to wear what churches to attend or not attend and what career to have can you imagine a life made from scratch imagine for just a second what you might do differently if you did not have a syllabus what if you were able to make up your own rules without spending your entire life trying to meet the demands that other people created for you for a life that someone else recommended? What would it be like to do life that way? Most of us would admire the courage it takes to be a hippie, but then we'd run toward rules. Most of us would assume that a life without a syllabus is a life without structure, but our yoga class was anything but unstructured. It had structure, but it was organically composed and not mechanically imposed. It was fluid, not forced. We had structure because we are creatures of habit, but the liberating thing about this class was no one felt the need to do what they saw someone else do because our class didn't have a syllabus. The only requirement was to show up on time, be willing to free your mind, and most importantly, dream. Man, if only we had had a professor like this to guide our lives from inception. If only we had a space where we could forget the rules, the regulations, the do's, the don'ts, the expectations, and the deadlines, and for once, just be. Just dream. Just imagine. It was uncomfortable at first, but the more I got used to it, the more I longed to be in yoga class. It became a safe place for me. It became a sanctuary for me. I would pray while others would sleep. I would allow my mind to go places it hadn't gone in so long because the syllabus of life had stolen my search and arrested my creativity. I fell in love with this open-minded world of imagination, and it was in that contemplative classroom that my professor asked us this life altering question. What would you do if money didn't rule you? What would you contribute to society if you didn't get paid to do it? If everyone earned the same dollar amount where they worked, what would you do? If the basket player made as much or as little as the cafeteria worker, what would you do? If the pilot made as much as the flight attendant and the cardiologist made as much as the reality star, what would you do? She was talking to a room full of college students, people who had invested four years into choosing a major that would ultimately lead them into a salaried position. She was talking to minds who were old enough to think, but young enough to dream. It was a perfect time 
to ask this question because some of us were only majoring in the field we decided to major in for the money. Some of us were only pursuing a career because our family had forced us to see success from the lens of one's bank account. She asked us, what would you do if money didn't rule you? And then she gave us 20 minutes to dream. She said, close your eyes and paint a picture of where you would live, what you would do all day, and how you would change the world. What would you do that even if you didn't get paid to do it, you would wake up and do it anyway? Immediately, I saw myself on a plane. I was traveling to different countries and learning about different worship styles. I saw myself in churches around the world, teaching people how to worship and helping others to connect with God. I saw packed stadiums, conferences, cathedrals, and churches filled with hungry learners and leaders, people who had invited me to come in to help them move from where they were to where they needed to be. I saw myself in homeless shelters, in storefront churches, ushering people into the presence of the Lord. I saw a book in one hand, a microphone in another hand, and that is when I realized I was headed in the wrong direction. For three years, I was reading English books to become an English professor, but that was someone else's syllabus imposed on my life. When I was young and easily influenced, I saw a man who looked like an image of what I wanted to become, and I changed my career path around to mimic his. I read the same books he read. I wrote the same way he wrote. I studied English and applied to Duke University, anticipating that my acceptance letter would launch me into the career I thought I wanted. And when I got rejected, I remembered that yoga class. I remember that my syllabus-free life had nothing to do with African-American masculinity and English literature. My professional goal was to write, but my purposeful goal was to worship. It was my yoga teacher who also taught me how to take apart every layer of scripture the same way she ate her fruit. Remember I told you she walked into class with a fruit bowl every day. Well, one day she brought in a fruit bowl large enough for all of her students to partake. She invited us to take as much as we could eat. And when we sat down, she instructed us to grab one piece of fruit by hand. I grabbed a grape, a green grape. She then told us to bring the grape close to our eyelid. She told us to examine the color or discoloration of the fruit. This took five minutes. How did it look? Are there any blemishes? What color would you designate? Then she told us to feel the texture of the fruit. Is it smooth, rough, moist, or dry? This took another five minutes. Then she told us to put the fruit at the bridge of our tongue. We couldn't eat it. We just needed to enjoy the process. By this point, all of us were eager, ready to just swallow the fruit and go on to the next piece of fruit in our bowl. But she ultimately taught us the difference between meditation and rushing. In life, most of us rush through our day without enjoying the intricacies of its fruitfulness. We read to finish. We don't read to feed. We text without an awareness that our words have power. We watch TV while cooking dinner. We talk to our child while texting our boss. We are always in a rush, but radical worship is a commitment to resist the traffic and pace of a hurried world. It is an act of resistance to pause, pray, engage the scriptures with all of our senses and meditate. The way she taught us to examine fruit was the way I then learned how to examine scripture. I now pay attention to every preposition. 
I imagine the scene in my head and heart. I ask questions of the text and I try not to jump to conclusions. This all connects to Ephesians 4.32 because when I take it apart layer by layer, I always get stuck on the first three words, be ye kind. Wow. I need to be kind. I don't just need to be proficient. I need to be kind. I don't just need to be a go-getter. I need to be kind. I don't just need to be an efficient employee or employer. I need to be kind. I heard Shel Brady once say, it's hard to be kind when you're always in a rush. I agree with her. It's hard to pay attention to people when you wait until the last minute to finish the project, arrive at the airport, run into class, rush out the door, rush out for lunch, pack your day with so many tasks that you have no time to stop and smell the roses. In a world filled with the pressure to do more, have more, give more, take more, Jesus says, be kind. Why? Because kindness is a key distinctive of the kingdom. When I look at Jesus's itinerant schedule, I can truly agree that Jesus was busy, but he was never in a rush. This allowed him to be kind. Jesus also pulled away from the crowd on multiple occasions to pray. Why? Because prayer aligns you. Prayer helps us transfer all of our irritability and frustrations to God so that when others see us, they experience him. Today, I want you to focus on being kind. I want you to ask a trusted friend this one question. If you could only use three words to describe me to others, would kindness make the top three? A few months ago, I dared to ask that question to a friend of mine that I trust. And when I asked it, he hesitated for about 30 long seconds. It was terrible. Then I asked another direct question and I told him I wouldn't be mad if he answered it truthfully. My follow-up question was, am I kind? And he said, Yes, you're kind, but you're not nice. Ouch. I listened. I didn't get defensive. And then he explained what he meant by the distinction. But honestly, what convicted me most was not the second answer. It was the hesitation of the first. No matter how direct I may be in the name of honesty, and no matter how thoughtful I am around the words I communicate, I never wanted to be said that I was not kind. You see, sometimes we are so quick to defend why we are who we are or how we became what we are that we aren't listening to the still small voice of the Holy Spirit challenging us to become better reflections of Christ in every way possible. I share this, my friends, not to start a public survey on whether you think I'm kind or not. I share this because we all have blind spots, but God uses close friends and family members to tell us the truth about ourselves if we are willing to listen. So today, ask a trusted friend who knows you well what I ask my friend. And don't just ask, am I kind, but dig deeper. Find out where you can grow and then spend more time reflecting inwardly so that you can be all that God has called you to be kindly. My personal goal this year is to slow down. I want to be more kind in my verbal and nonverbal interactions. I want to listen deeply to not cut someone off to engage them fully, to not text and talk, to not text and drive, to care wholly, to communicate loving boundaries so that I don't always appear to be in a rush. In short, I just wanna be kind. I wanna do more than memorize the scriptures. I want the scriptures to come alive in me. 
So the song you're about to hear is a song I wrote as a joke because my friends, Amy and Demarcus, were commenting about how they could literally give me a word and I can write a song that leads people into worship. So we jokingly tried to play this, write a song randomly, and then we'll see if you really can do it. So I said, okay, cool. At that time, their son Ethan had just began to walk. And as we were looking at Ethan walk across the living room floor, Ethan leapt into his mother's arms and Demarcus looked at me and said, leap, Sean, write a worship song using the word leap. And this is what I wrote that day.
Neverland. 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 Inverted tone. All I want, say, all I want. 